I'm going to invite you now to turn to the back middle portion of your worship guide where you'll find the scriptures on which the sermon is based. We are in the third week of a series where we're asking, what are we doing here? When we come to church here on Sunday, uh, when we do church stuff together, what's going on? We want to give you some vision. We want to give you some purpose uh, for why you're doing what you're doing. To walk a common path together, to look into God's word, to see what God would have us believe, what God would have us practice. Over the last two weeks, we asked two questions. The first was, what are we doing when we worship? Last week, we looked at what are we doing when we gather, when we hang out with each other. This week is week three, and we're asking, what are we doing when we give? What are we doing when we give? If you look at the scriptures on the back of the, of the bulletin, uh, Matthew 6, just for some context, it's part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. This is where Jesus is teaching his disciples teaching his followers a proper understanding of following him, and here in this section, a proper understanding of wealth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, this ancient church in the Roman world, and he's talking about the praiseworthy example of giving that he found in the churches of Macedonia. So with that context in mind, let me read to you our two scriptures. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 26. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness." If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet... Your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And then 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints, and this not as we expected. But they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, he should continue, and he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge, in all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray again. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us. We ask that your spirit now would fill us so that we can hear all you have to say. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. As a pastor talking about giving, talking about money, 
there are a couple risks. The first is that you can be too timid. That you don't talk about something that Jesus talked about all the time. Uh, you can try to resist something that can be somewhat of an uncomfortable topic and you can convince whether spoken or unspoken that money that the use of money is a relatively unimportant theme for the people of God the other risk is that you can talk about it all the time that you can use guilt tactics uh, to coerce people to give to give more and more and make it seem like money is actually all that's important in the church as you read the Bible, for anyone who's spent time reading the Bible, you can find over and over commands and examples of God's people practicing a certain type of generosity, one that is radical, joyful, and abundant. The Bible's filled with portraits of people who don't cling to their possessions, uh, but through the power of God's Spirit, uh, shared their possessions, gave them away liberally uh, to serve uh, the needy, to assist the work of spreading the gospel. And as an act of worship, we actually sang it in Be Thou My Vision. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance now in all ways. Thou and thou only be first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure thou art. And because of this, because of what the scriptures teach, because of the example of saints who've gone before us, we ask you to give. I ask you to give almost on a weekly basis. I don't want to be too timid about it, but I also don't want to be manipulative. Because it, it's true that God himself asks for your time, he asks for your money. And so a good question for us as a church is to ask, what are we doing when we give? What's, happening, what's actually happening? How should Christians think Christianly about giving? How do we do it in a faithful and not a stale or religious way? And so this is our unifying theme for today. This is kind of the idea of the sermon on a postage stamp. Our giving is a joyful response to God's own generosity. How should we think about our, our giving? What are we doing when we give? We are joyfully responding to God's generosity to us. We're going to unpack that theme um, by looking at three broad giving principles that we see in the text this morning and three giving practices. So we're going to look at a couple principles and a couple of practices. Uh, we're going to look at, again, Matthew 6, 2 Corinthians 8, and we're also going to bounce around a little bit more than we typically do on a Sunday morning. So first, the three giving principles. Here's the first principle, or the first foundation for how we ought to think about giving, and it's this. God is the first giver. God's the first giver. Before you start giving your time and your money away to the work of the church, to care for those in your neighborhood, you have to recognize who the source of all things are, including your time, including your money, and that's God. Before we give, God gave. In order for us to have anything, whatever, to give, God must give to us. This is a biblical assumption that begins in the very first pages of the scriptures, where in the beginning, there was nothing. No time, as we reckon it, no material goods, only God, infinite, immortal, and invisible. And then he created the world. God gave. He gave everything. Everything you have, everything you are, therefore, is a gift from God. Time and money aren't fundamentally yours. They're gifts. Jesus talks about the type of anxiety and worry that comes about when people think about their time and their money and their clothes. Uh, these are limited resources that we're not sure how long we'll have. And he points his disciples to the birds. If you look at verse 26, of Matthew, 6, of Matthew 6. He says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. He provides for them. He gives to them. Are you not of more value than they? If God gives to the birds and you are much more valuable than birds, you can trust that he will give to you too. Why does God give? 
Does he give out of obligation? Is it his duty to give? No. God gives because he loves. As John 3.16, maybe the most famous verse in the Bible begins, for God so loved the world that he gave. God's the first giver. He's generous. He's caring. He gives his people. He gives his creatures what they need for life, for godliness, and more importantly, what we need for salvation. You must see God as the first giver because this will change the way that you look at giving. Paul asks this question somewhat rhetorically in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He asks, what do you have that you have not received? What do you have that you haven't received? What, what time do you have? What wealth what intelligence, what property, what material goods do you have that you have not received? I hear my kids sometimes asking, asking the other sibling uh, if they can share something, if they can have something that the other kid has. And inevitably there are, there are cries of, no, that's mine. That is mine. And of course, that's a bit rich. <laughs> I could turn to them and say, what do you have that you did not receive? Everything they have is actually from Brit and I, right? We, we, we love them, so we give them stuff because they're our kids, but they have to understand that everything they have is something that they've received, even their own life. So the first principle, when you think about giving, is that God is the first giver. Everything we have, everything we are, is a gift from him. And so this means that we're not ultimately owners of stuff and time. We are stewards of stuff and time. God has entrusted them to us. He's given to them to us as a trust to use for his purposes. And so the right question, when you consider giving money or not, is to ask the question, not how much money can I spare, how much of my money can I spare, but rather, God, how do you want me to use your gifts? How do you want me to use the things that you've given to me for a short time? So that's the first principle. God's the first giver of everything you have and everything that you are. The second principle is this. Our giving has to serve somebody. Our giving has to serve somebody. No matter what, your time and your money will serve somebody. Whether you're rich or you're poor, whether you're young or old, whether you've got lots or you've just got a little bit, what you do have and how you use it is going to be used in the service of somebody. You can't opt out of this. You can't be like, I want a third option. There's not. It's not whether you'll serve somebody with your God-given time or money. It's just the question of who it'll be. In chapter 6 of, of, of Matthew, in verses 19 through 20, Jesus first warns about using our dearest treasures. That doesn't have to be money. It could be time or resources or, or other, other things other than money, he, he warns people about using these things in a way that earth and the things of earth are their final reference point. He's probably thinking about the things he mentions in verse 25, uh, our life right now, what we eat, what we drink, what we put on our bodies. If the primary use of your money and your time is to take care of yourself right now, Jesus says you're putting your money and your time in the service of moths, of rust, and of thieves. If you simply use your money and your time to exchange them for food, clothing, house, drink, all of these things, inevitably, no matter how great they are in the moment, they will be eaten up by moths, they'll be eaten away, they'll be rusted down by time, they'll no longer function, they'll no longer do what they're supposed to do, or they'll be taken away in a moment by thieves. If you invest everything you have and everything you are in your body, you go to the gym nonstop. You keep on focusing and putting money into it. Your home, you can't stop doing renovations and cleaning things up. Your wardrobe, you want to look sharp on Sunday morning. Or into your savings so you'll have something secure set aside so that you can have a, a joyful life when you retire. Guess what? Even those investments will get consumed. They will break down. They will perhaps even just get taken away in a moment unjustly. Jesus says 
that this kind of investment, thinking this way, is profoundly unwise. He says this not only because this will eventually all be eaten up or break down, but because there's actually a better way to use our time and money, a more lasting way. If you look at verse 20, Jesus tells his disciples, lay up your treasures in heaven. Use your time, use your money, and invest them in ways that moth and rust and thieves can't touch. By putting our resources in God's service for the advancement of his kingdom, we invest wisely. Jim Elliott, he was a missionary. He was killed on the mission field for preaching the gospel. He gave much to the advancement of the kingdom. But this is his way of thinking. He thought that whatever the cost of risking everything, which he ended up doing, the gain was greater. And so he said this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I'll say that again. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. What we give to the work of Christ's kingdom, no matter how costly it seems to us in the moment, Jesus assures his disciples, it is not lost, it is not devoured, it is not stolen. Rather, it is being sent ahead, it's being secured, it's being multiplied. And I have to say this, it's important. Jesus actually puts things more sharply. If you're not serving God with your giving, you're serving someone else. And look at verse 24. Jesus says this, no one can serve two masters. Your giving indicates who you love and who you despise, who you're devoted to and who you functionally hate. Your giving right now, your time and your money is showing who you serve. And so this idea, this is connected with our third principle. So first, God's the first giver. Second, our giving has to serve somebody. And the third principle is that giving is a window into our hearts. Giving is a window into our hearts. Jesus says that in verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The things that we give our time and our money to show us what we love most. They show us who our true master is. If I could see how you spend your time and money... I can see what your treasure is, what you, what you truly love in your heart, no matter what your lips might say, because your treasures follow your heart, your time and your money, what you invest them in is based on what you love. Donald Whitney, a theologian, he writes this, the reason use of money and the things it buys is one of the best indicators of spiritual maturity and godliness is that we exchange such a great part of our lives for it. Because we invest most of our days working in exchange for money, there is a very real sense in which our money represents us. Therefore, how we use it expresses who we are, what our priorities are, and what's in our hearts. In other words, if I could look at the withdrawal column in your bank account, if I could look at your schedule, it would say a lot about you. The way you use your money, the way you use your time is a, is a window into your heart. Again, you may say you love God, that you are devoted to him, that you trust in him to take care of you, that you depend on him for everything, but what does your use of money show? Giving, then, we have to look at it as, as an incredible gift that God is giving to his people in the fight against materialism and false loves. As we seek to give faithfully, we'll look at what that looks like in the next section, what we're doing is we're training our hearts to love the right thing, to rightly order our affections. We're keeping our treasures from the reach of moth and rust and thieves, from wasting our time and money in momentary pursuits when we give rightly. When Christ says, 
it's more blessed to give than to receive, he has this in view. That serving the kingdom, serving others through giving is an enormous gift for you. It is better for you to give than to receive. Giving well can help you, help you in the fight against envy and, and worry and greed. Giving can help to steer your heart, to make God not stuff your treasure. And this isn't easy. This, this is difficult for God's people. Martin Luther once said, there are three conversions necessary. First, our hearts. Second, our minds. And third, our wallets. Growth in Christian maturity by using time and money in the service of God is the fruit of a changed heart. When God rescues us, it's not just our heart and our minds, uh, who we are conceptually that need to be rescued. Our spending habits need to be rescued too. Remember, Giving is the joyful response to God's generosity. So again, our three giving principles. God's the first giver. Second, our giving has to serve somebody. Third, giving is a window into our hearts. Uh, but then it just raises the question, but what should giving actually look like? Like practically, what, what do I do? Do I have to sell everything I have and give it to the poor? Do I have to sell my house? Uh, is it, you know, the yellow label stuff only at the superstore? Do I have to quit my job and try to join the staff at Christ Church? We're not hiring. You're going to have to look somewhere else. We actually, as a church, we need faithful practices to keep our giving from just falling into external religiosity. We're doing something, but our hearts are totally unmoved by it. We actually want to have a joyful response to God's goodness to us and then give on the basis of that. So in order for giving, which is something that God does call God's people to, in order for it to be Christian, for it to be faithful, here are three practices that we ought to practice. The first is this, giving must be willing. Giving must be willing. In 2 Corinthians 8, again, Paul is, he's raising money for Christians who are living in Jerusalem at the time. There was a severe famine in Jerusalem. Uh, there was serious need there. And so Paul is going throughout the ancient Roman world to the churches that he's helped to start, uh, and he's asking them to contribute to a relief fund. But notice that Paul doesn't actually directly command the Corinthians to give. He doesn't like throw his weight around and demand, force them to give their money to this needy cause. He says the practice of giving, uh, giving willingly is essential. Giving must be willing. Uh, this is not in your worship guides, but 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, just a, a chapter after, as he continues his thought on giving, he says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. If we give because it feels like I'm twisting your arm behind your back, or that God is laying severe guilt on you, that's not the kind of willing, joyful giving that God's looking for. It's not something that he welcomes. And the Macedonian Christians, which, which Paul brags about, they are a great example of willing giving. These churches apparently were extremely poor, yet their giving was quite eager. Paul's overjoyed to talk about it. Look at, look at what he commends in their giving. Look at verses 1 through 4 of 2 Corinthians 8, verses, uh, starting in verse 1. We want you to know, brothers in the Corinthian church, about the grace of God that, that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed into a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Do you see how they gave? With an abundance of joy, of their own accord, they actually begged Paul to be part of this relief fund. How different is our giving? Slow, minimal, 
somewhat grudgingly. Britt and I, we just, uh, we just had our 12th anniversary, and I want you to imagine the scenario, I assure you this isn't what happened, but that I had purchased some flowers for her, a beautiful bouquet, and I tossed them on the table in front of her, and I said, Brittany, here are the flowers. I know this is the thing that I'm supposed to do on the 12th anniversary, so there it is, right there, as I'm supposed to give. I want you to know it set me back a little bit, but enjoy. <laughs> Rightly, Britt would be a little upset perhaps more than a little. But if I said, Britt, I'm so glad to give these to you. Happy anniversary. And I give them willingly. I give them joyfully. That's a very different kind of giving. Again, this is the same gift in both scenarios, but entirely different motivations, different responses to the gift. Our giving to God of our time and our money must also be willing giving and joyful giving. Faithful giving is willing giving. It is cheerful giving. But the second principle, or the, sorry, the second practice, is that giving also must be sacrificial. Giving is called to be sacrificial. It must cost us. It must be difficult in some way. You see this again in the example of the Macedonians. Though they were extremely poor, they gave. The, the dollar value might have been much lower than what the Corinthian church gave, uh, but what they gave wasn't unneeded money. It wasn't just the extra stuff that they happened to have lying around that they wouldn't miss if they had given it, but they actually gave beyond their means. Paul said they gave way too much. And this is the kind of giving that Jesus commends. In Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44, we meet Jesus and his disciples outside of the temple watching people as they are as they're giving. This is what the text says in Mark 12. Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. People typically, when you talk about giving, they typically want to know if there is a number that they should give a certain percentage of their, of their income that they can give that will satisfy the perceived requirement that God has for giving. Seen in the best light, uh, this question is about faithfulness. They want to know, uh, does God in the Bible, does he specifically ask for a certain amount? I want to make sure I'm being obedient. Seen in the worst light, this question is about wanting, fulfill, wanting to fulfill a religious duty. How many dollars will it take to get God off my back? How many dollars until I won't feel guilty anymore? And the truth is, the giving that God is looking for, both in your time and your money, is costly. It's sacrificial. In the Old Testament, God's people were commanded to give their very best to God. Not the leftovers of their harvest, not whatever they happened to have after they went to the market, but their first fruits, the very best of what they had. They were, they were told to sacrifice, to offer to God not just any old land that they had, the one with the two broken legs, but their best, the cleanest, the most spotless one. C.S. Lewis, he reflects on the question of how much we should give uh, of our time and our money, and he said this, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I am afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditures on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc., is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving too little. If our giving to the poor and to the church do not at all pinch or hamper us, 
I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditure excludes them. Here's the question then. Not how many dollars are you giving, but is your giving costly, whatever the amount is? Does it stretch you? Does it mean something? Our giving must be willing. It must be sacrificial. And finally, the last practice, our giving must be, it must be responsive. We'll end here because it's actually, it's actually the most important practice. As we said, God's the first giver. He's the source of it all. He actually doesn't need your giving. He's not trying to satisfy some lack that he has. You need to give, uh, but he isn't making up for something that, again, he doesn't have that he wants from you. In verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 8, Paul writes that he wants the Corinthians to excel in giving. As you excel in everything, I want you to excel in faith, in speech, in knowledge. He says, see also that you excel in this act of grace also. He's calling them to give willingly and sacrificially. But listen, their obedience must not come first. Notice what Paul says in verses 8 through 9. I say this, I say everything that I've been saying about giving, not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love, your love, that your love is also genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. The motivation for our giving, it, it must be love, a genuine, deep love. For what? for what Christ has first done for us. Before we give, God so loved the world that he gave us his son. And Christ, who had unlimited riches, he gave up his riches and he became poor for you. Christ who lived in eternity, he entered into time for you. Your selfishness, your greed, your treasuring of your time and your money, it would kill you in the end. And so Christ came and he was killed in your place, to set you free so that you could give. What are we doing when we give? We're joyfully responding to God's generosity to us, seen in the willing and the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ for your sin and for your salvation. And unless your heart has been melted and moved by this good news of Jesus Christ, by God's love for you, you will never be a truly giving person. You will never give willingly or sacrificially. Your giving will be all about you getting God off your back, showing what a great person you are. But if you understand the good news of Jesus Christ preached to you today, if you believe that because of Christ's costly love, he has secured for you sure and heavenly riches, you won't need to guard jealously insecure and temporary earthly riches. As you freely receive, you can freely give. Faithful giving must be, it must be, in response to God's giving. God so loved you that he gave as a pastor, I, I want you to give. I want you to give willingly, sacrificially, and responsibly. I'm going to keep on banging that drum. And if you want to give, if you want to excel in this act of grace, if you want your stress and your fear about the limits to your time and your money to no longer have control over your heart like it does right now, if you want to please God with the gifts that he's entrusted you with, listen, your heart has to first be moved and melted by God's generosity to you. You were so loved that Christ came for you. He became poor so that you might become rich in him. What are we doing when we give? We are joyfully responding to God's generosity to us. Now may you worship and know God the Father, the maker of heaven and earth, who is the first giver.
May you serve God with everything that he's given you, seeing yourself as a steward entrusted with God's own time and money. May you treasure things rightly. May God free you from the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. And may your heart be in heaven where Christ is seated. May you give willingly and sacrificially, knowing that God loves a cheerful giver. And may your heart be melted and moved by Christ's willing and sacrificial death on the cross for you to make us who are greedy into generous givers. Let's pray again. Father, thank you for your love for us. You didn't love us because of our generosity. You didn't love us because we were such good givers. While we were sinners, you came for us. And so we ask that, that your work would do a work in our hearts. The things that cling tightly to us, our fears and our worries and our anxieties about our jobs, about our wealth, about our time, Lord, that we would entrust them in you, knowing that in you and in you alone uh, there is richness and there is life. So, Father, we commit ourselves to you. We commit our church to you. We ask that you would make us into a people who are generous givers to our neighbors, to our church, to those around us. Lord, have mercy on us. We ask that all in Christ's name. Amen.